So a question come up, and I'm going to answer this. I'm, I'm really, I was kind of up all night. I'm going to deal with this next Sunday, but I have to, I have to start here to get me to Sunday. And so, um, so we're going to start here in very simple forms, and the time we get to Sunday, it'll make sense, if you'll come back. So the trilogy in Luke chapter 15, it's about something that was lost. Um, the first one is that we have a lost sheep. The second one, we have a lost coin. The third one, we have a lost son. They all mean different things, but you don't have to turn it. But what's so fascinating about this is the responsibility of God. The first one is that the lost sheep, and he refers to it as IT. And when he found IT, it's a Greek word called sapeo. It means a deaf mute, deaf and dumb, an autistic sheep that doesn't have the ability to cry, doesn't have the ability to hear. But God is faithful to go get him. We're surrounded by people that you don't think they have a clue. Robert Albrisky was voted number one in the world not to become born again, but God <laughs> proved the world wrong. Resendez is number two, or he's number four, so anyway. So now then, we get to this woman that, as the Bible says it, so what other woman that having ten pieces of silver, if she loses one piece, there's not a lot of candle, and sweep the house, and seek diligently till he finds it. So somebody asked about this, and I think I talked about this. In 33 years, I've talked about everything. But what is this parable saying to us? And so someone asked this two weeks ago, so I, I want to tell you what this means. They got it wrong, so I'm not even going to look at you. We're, we're going to talk about what it really means. But I'm getting to somewhere Sunday. So there's a couple of things you need to know about this, that, that this parable is speaking about more than just a woman losing her loose change. The number 10 in the Bible is a, the number 10 in the Bible is a number for, for order and restoration. The number 10, eight is for new beginnings, seven is perfection, eight is new beginnings, nine is the number of maturity, and 10 is a number of order and restoration. Genesis chapter one, 10 times God said, let there be, and there was. 10 fingers, 10 toes, <laughs> uh, 10 kingdoms, 10 crowns, 10 virgins. Uh, our numerical system is based on the principles of 10. How many knows it's easier to say 10 times 10 than 10 times 18? All right, well, you know. So everything's based on restoration, divine order. Everything is done in, in groups of tens. It's so what happens is, but the, the second one is that silver speaks of redemption. So silver speaks of one soul, if you would. So we have 10 silver coins. Now, the first parable that Jesus has to go find this something that has value, and he has value to the owner. So he, he, he leaves the 99, and he goes finds this one that's unable to defend or reach or cry for himself. I'm so glad, you know, for you to say, I found God. You did not find God. God was not lost. He found you. But now then, we have a completely different set of circumstances. Here we have a woman that, that has 10 pieces of silver, and the word silver is symbolic of mind, will, and emotions. It deals with one's soul, and the soul of man, suke, is mind, will, and emotions. Now, I'm going to clarify something, so pay attention. 
everything in the New Testament is, 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 is brought to pass by the design of the tabernacle in the Old Testament. Everything that happened in the Old Testament tabernacle is revealed in the New Testament in us. So in the Old Testament tabernacle, there are three precious metals. One was gold. It represents the spirit of God. The tabernacle of man is the same. One just happens to be is a shadow of. So in the old tabernacle, gold was symbolic of God's presence or God's spirit. Silver was represented as what we refer to as the soul, mind, will, of emotions. It represents the sockets. And the third one is brass, which represents our body. So if you go back to the Old Testament, we're not going to spend here another 15 seconds, that what happens when you go into the holy place and to the inner court in the holy place, you'll see three precious metals. You'll see the brass, where it represents our body that's capable of tarnish and, 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 and get a little um, clutter from time to time. Number two, silver. Silver represents our mind, mind, will, emotions, and the Spirit of God rests within us. In the tabernacle, you had, you had, you had golden candlesticks, but inside you had all this array of, of silver columns and silver sockets supporting gold artifacts. It is our body that houses the Spirit of God. It is our mind that facilitates the Spirit of God. But the thing that we have working for us is the Spirit of God lives in us. This is why, so when you understand that silver represents in the framework of God our soul, but it represents not like soul here, because this is cardia. Our soul is suke, which is mind, will, and emotions. And once you get born again, you're born again. Yeah. Once you get born again and saved by the Spirit of God, that God moves in, He's not moving out. What He does is He begins to remodel your brain. He works on your mind. Your body is saying, for all this time I've been a servant to my to my, to my brain and my thoughts and all this stuff, and the Spirit of God comes in, and the Spirit of God, you get born again, the Spirit of God, by the Word of God, says, we're going to change this body, and the Spirit, or the mind says, not without a fight, you're not. And some of you are fighting the fight of your life still, but just keep fighting. We're going to get your brain worked out. And instead of cussing and swearing and getting angry, then we're going to say, bless the Lord, O oh my soul, and all that's with me, I'm going to bless His holy name. And the body is going, woo, I like this life, but I like the other life. So, so here we have a woman, by definition. Now, silver speaks of redemption. Silver speaks of your mind. Ecclesiastes 12 talks about it when, when your mind snaps loose. When the golden bowl gives way, but he said the silver cord snaps your brain quits functioning right. Jesus said that in your patience, you what? Possess your souls. It's talking about what's about to come in Jerusalem in his day. And the idea of saving of your soul doesn't mean going to heaven in your heart. It means in your patience of trusting God, you can keep your sanity. I don't know about you. I'm not near as old as Jamie Keith just had a birthday, but I will tell you, we are living in some crazy times. 
my brain needs all the help I can get. So the idea this morning, you'll kind of see in a few moments that what this woman is dealing with. Silver speaks of redemption. So I have about four keynotes for you. Number one, one's personal worth and value in Exodus 30, 11 through 16 was purchased by silver. Number two, slaves were sold for silver. Exodus 21 and 32. Joseph was sold for 20 pieces of silver. Genesis 37 and 28. And Jesus was sold for 30 pieces of silver. Matthew 27, 1 through 9. These silver tokens that this woman had in her possessions was her own personal worth that was set by another. A dowry. So for you that are barely in the church, when you read this parable, if you do read this parable, that you'll read this and you think this woman's got ten dimes, ten quarters, ten pieces of something, and she happens to lose one, and what's the big deal about this? This is not talking about an amount of money. Somebody that when she was married gave her a charm bracelet with ten tokens on it. And these ten tokens on her charm bracelet represented her entire worth. I'm not making this up. Back then, we, we did business a little different. So I gave you the analogy that silver speaks of redemption. It means to buy back or to buy to purchase. And the dowry, is it can work either way, whether the groom pays it or the bride's family pays it. And I'm going to put it, maybe the bride's family said, listen, I raised her for 15 years. Here's 10 tokens, and this is what she's worth. Or he said, I will give this for her worth. Whatever it is, she has got 10 tokens on her bracelet, a charm bracelet. And this 10 tokens represent her entire worth of what someone said she was worth. See? So a dowry is a, an amount that was set by another for another. See? So I don't think we do that. Jeff, I don't know if you had to pay a bunch of money to get her, but you made a good investment if you had to. But back then, they had to pay a bunch of money to, to, to get a bride. So this dowry or this, this bracelet this woman is wearing in the house, she lost one piece of it. And this represents a piece of her self-worth. Isn't it amazing that we'll get to it next week, but... In Luke chapter 10, Jesus said this. He talked about the good Samaritan. He's, the, the ruler said this, love God with all your mind, soul, and strength and love your neighbor as yourself. Watch this. If you can't love yourself, how can you love other people? And you'll find out next week, he's talking about Christ himself. We have got to get to a, a, a sense of value of our worth. Because when you, we're going to find out where self-worth comes from in next week, but when you really have no self-worth or self-value 
and your whole life is based around what someone said about you, no wonder you have trouble setting beside the person that you set beside and love them. No wonder you don't have sympathy and empathy for the common person. No wonder you have trouble coming here and honoring God because it's true. If you have nothing on the inside of you of worth and value, then you have nothing to give away. Freely as you receive, freely give it. But what if you do not have it? I'm not pulling out that pocket because I got it back there. Huh? <laughs> so I want you to come in there and you fake it. You just fake it. You're all a bunch of fakers. Because deep down someone has told you your worth. And deep down you have lost bits and pieces of your self-worth. And God said you're faithful and you're lovely and you're just and you're mine and you're all these things. But through the years you've lost them. Well, when you got born again, Don, you believed I got born again, and Jesus loves me. And on and on, the apostle John says, the disciple said, whom the disciple loved. He's talking about himself. Whom the disciple loved. Jesus, talking about John, whom the disciple loved. Why did he say that? Because he figured it out. He loves me. John figured it out. Oh, he wasn't bragging. Oh, I'm the disciple whom Jesus loved. That's not what he was doing. Isn't it amazing? You believe that, that God loves Danny and he loves Dan and he loves Ron and Jeremy uh, and, and, and he loves AJ and he loves Aaron and T he loves he loves Thomas and But when you look in the mirror when nobody's around you say there's it's impossible for you to love me. This woman had lost one piece of a token of her value and worth and whatever she was going through at that time she would need every single piece of silver that someone gave to her and told her this is your worth and this is your value this morning I think it's just very important for we go back to square one in our Christian community that God loves you and you have great worth but if you're not careful, that mindset and that thought process, you lose it along the way. You'll lose a piece here because of a stupid stunt. You'll lose a piece there. And before, no, you know it. You, your mind is, is not working correctly. He loves you. Now, we know everything about this story that, that we need to know. But we know he wasn't outside the house. We know no one broke in and took it. Where was it? It was buried under clutter in her house. Listen, the things that God has given you, nobody has stolen it from you. It's in you. You just got to quit letting people dump in your brain. You got to quit letting people tell you what you are and you're not. You're going to have to say, I, I appreciate the comment. I really don't care what you say. God says, I'm holy, I'm righteous, I'm loved. I'm, 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 I'm born again, I'm saved, I'm spirit-filled. God is so proud of me. My picture's on his icebox. He carries my picture in his wallet if he has a wallet. And I don't care what you say about me. God thinks I'm it. You need a T-shirt that goes around and says, quit dumping on me. I'm having trouble finding myself. So he just, she just starts taking out all the junk and all that stuff and throws it out in the front yard 
Turn the light on it because I'll tell you what, the things of God are meant to shine. He turned a candle on that thing and boom, that thing lit up. You can find it. You can find it. It's in you. Anybody say anything bad about you? Liar, liar, pants on fire. Anybody say anything bad about you? God said you're lovely, you're great, he's, he's crazy about you, and somebody come along and said you're an idiot, you're stupid, and that's the S word, I can't say that. And you know what? You believe them more than you believe God? I'm here to tell you, I got a, I got a backhoe service in the back. I'm going to dig all that trash out and deprogram you and de-weed you. Listen, you are the object of God's love. You are the beloved of God's love. You are the target of God's grace. All these things of heaven and earth have been given to you. Quit allowing people to dump trash in your mind. Turn to somebody and say, I like you. At first I thought she was nuts, but I like you. So, she lost self-worth. Bad divorce. Bad upbringing. Wrong, wrong choices of men. Just all kinds of things. And she found out she woke up one day and she's losing her self-worth and value. I wrote this this morning that, that it's time that we as Christians that, that we declare war on the destructive value system that we must be either beautiful or extremely broad. If you're handsome or highly intelligent, well, you got it made in society, but God help you if you're dumb and ugly. We as Christians, we've got to combat the notion of our inferiority is inevitable and irreversible. We must teach our children their genuine significance and self-worth regardless of the shape of their nose or the efficiency of their mind. Yes, amen. Every person is entitled to hold their heads up in pride, not in pride and arrogance, but rather in confidence and security. Again, I'm not talking about this, but it's... This, it's a vicious cycle of what the media and society is forcing our children, our sons and daughters to become. And I'll, I'll tell you straight up, I'm so, proud of, I'm so proud of Sarah, and I'm so proud of Kathy, and I'm so proud of these young girls that, that defied the odds and said, no, I'll stand up for Jesus no matter what you may say about me. I am going to follow Jesus. Thank you. Thank you. So this morning, before we kind of get to next week, but there's a public enemy against our self-worth. And it's found in 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 8, and it says this. Be sober. It's where we get a word called sophron. Uh, it means non-intoxicated, and the intoxication doesn't have to be booze either. Intoxication can be something that your mind is spinning because of the lack of something in your life. But be sober and be vigilant because your adversary, the devil, as a roaring lion, walketh about seeking whom he may devour. So give me about five minutes and I'm going to clear this verse up for you pretty good. The number one public enemy against your self-worth is the devil. Lucifer is his name. 
Satan is what he does. The devil is what happens. So, let me explain that. Lucifer is his name. Satan is a word called the accuser of the brethren. Satan is what he does. But the word devil is a Greek word called diabolos. Dia is through, bolos is throw, is throw like a ball. And it means to throw something until it finally goes through. So you've heard me say this, not that I would, but I know Jimmy Resendez as when he was a kid. He'd always take rocks and throw it on plate glass windows. Oh, oh yeah, see? And, and, and it would, it would, the rock would hit it and fall down. The little rock would hit it and fall down. It's a small rock. It's not a bowling ball. Until one day, after, after pebble, after pebble, after pebble, after accusation, after accusation, and then something happened, that small rock went through. Our whole life, we've had an accuser in our mind. Constantly telling us that we're no good, we're no fit, we're a failure, we're sorry, that we, we should have never lived, we should have never made it, we've been voted less likely to become anything, and our whole life we've lived up to what their word said. Until one day it got in. And once it got in, then we began to adjust our action according to their words. So the devil... Ever since you become born again, the devil is doing his very best to accuse you of certain things. And he not only is in, in invisible impressions, but he'll use other people to accuse you. Well, if you was really a Christian, you wouldn't wear that to church. If you was really a Christian, then you wouldn't shave your head on one side. If you was really a Christian, you would lengthen that dress and stack your hair on top of your head. All those things has nothing to do with your salvation. So the Bible says that your enemy, which is the devil, the accuser, is a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. Now, documentaries will tell you that in a jungle, this is how it works, that when a lion is, is on the hunt, he doesn't really sneak up on anything in that jungle. He, he's, he's not like a, a leopard or a panther or, or anything else. He makes his... Presence known with a roar. And that's weird. It looks like if I was going to catch something, I'd at least want to sneak up on it. You know? Kind of like a buffet bar. I, 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 I don't want to walk in the door. I'm here. I mean, bring out the cooks, you know? So this line, you get the idea, when he's going to devour something, you get this idea. I mean, he ought to just sneak up on you. He doesn't. That's weird. When he walks into the jungle, he just, you know, Kind of like Gayla, she goes, your children. <laughs> the roar paralyzes the prey. You see, your enemy, if he could destroy you, he would have destroyed you a long time ago. You ever figure that out? If, 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 if he had the ability to, to kill you and destroy you, mentally, physically, and spiritually. He'd have done that today. You got from the altar and said, I, I decided to follow Jesus. So now that all he's doing is roaring, he's trying to intimidate you. His roar is trying to get you paralyzed. So 
He is threatening that and he is roaring these horrible things and these sounds and, and your mind is reverberating and you can't think and you can't process thoughts. That's just old age. But all this stuff, your mind seems to be going and you're, you've lost your self-worth and he's throwing these accusations that you'll never make it and you'll never amount to be anything and you'll die broke and you'll die this and your, your children will do this and all these things. He's constantly roaring in your mind. Now, isn't it funny that he uses the word not enemy, he's the word adversary. Jeff, did you ever think that was funny? He doesn't say your enemy is like a roaring lion. He says your adversary is a roaring lion. It's funny. The word adversary is called antidecos. And anti is opposite, and decos is a lawyer. You put them together, it means someone who is always accusing you. He's not your attorney, as the Holy Spirit is. He's your prosecutor. He's always accusing you of something. Anybody ever been in a court trial? Oh, come on now. Here we go. How many knows that the prosecutor is not your friend? What about this section over here? Mark, go ahead and raise your hand. Go ahead. I got you on that corner, and I got number four on that corner. See? And I mean, boy, when that prosecutor starts, I mean, the devil don't have to make anything up on you. He doesn't have to say, oh, remember that time you were in that pink Barbie doll four-wheel? No, no, that's not true. He, has, he doesn't have to make, all he does is just tell you the truth, what you did. And you said that, and you drank that, and you did that, and you stole from that person, and you did that, and all along, what's, you know what's going on? He's roaring all along. Bits and pieces of your self-worth is coming off your bracelet. And you come to church on Sunday, and I tell you, Jesus loves you, you go, I doubt it. You don't know what I've done. I don't care what you've done. I'm just saying what God says. And I've never known a prosecuting attorney, Dan, not that you've ever been in prison, but the guy behind you, evidently he's been to court. But I've never known the prosecutor say, hey, I'm glad you're here. And after I get through just ripping you up, let's mean you go have ice cream. Well, that's not going to happen. <laughs> the devil is your adversary. He is the prosecutor attorney in your case in life. And his, his whole job is to remind you how bad you were. Unlike my, some of you, that are perfect. But somewhere in this, as we know, the enemy constantly reminds you of stupid things, dumb things, wrong words, wrong actions, and before long, watch this, before long, your self-worth is lost somewhere in here. So the Bible says, your adversary is a roaring lion seeking, it means he has to have permission, now watch this, whom he may devour. It doesn't say the adversary will devour you. He said he's seeking who he may, which is conditional, may devour. Your enemy cannot devour you. Pay attention and wake up. Your enemy cannot devour you. You have to give him permission. Now, I wrote this, and there's some of you know this. But see the word devour? It's called katapino. 
Kata is down, and Pino is to drink. That's a funny word. So why are there no words used as chomp, bite, chew, shred, rip, or tear used? So you got this ferocious lion, and he's roaring, and he's, he's threatening, and he's got all these sounds going on, and he's big, and he's trying to paralyze you with words and intimidation and all these things, but he's trying to devour you. But he does not say he's going to rip, chomp, shred, tear, or chew you up. He said your enemy just wants to drink you down. In the Old Testament, the word for discouraged, Numbers 21 and 4, they become discouraged along the way. It means to change the cells and the structures of something. It means ice or snow turning into water. It means liquefy. Discouragement will melt you. When you get discouraged and your mind gets weary and your brain gets tired, something begins to happen. You begin to melt. And when you get discouraged, that's why it's easy for the enemy not to chew, rip, tear, chomp, or devour you in that way. It's easy for him to drink you through a straw. So why is it that it doesn't use these words, but it uses a word to drink through a straw? And here's the answer. It's a pretty good answer. Because the lion has no teeth. He has no teeth. You see, on the cross, 2,000 years ago, Jesus removed the claws, pulled the teeth, and broke the jaw, and neutered the devil. No wonder he roars. Now some of you are good Bible students, but I would never tell you this if it wasn't true. The word roaring is a word where we get a word for like crepel. It means to be impaled. It means to suffer a great injury. So instead of the enemy going through the jungle can devour you, that's not what this picture is telling you if you understand the language. It means this, 2,000 years ago, Jesus rose from the dead and he rammed a cross, spiritual cross through him. And ever since that the devil's still alive and well, but he has suffered an injury that every day of his pathetic life, he screams and roar because he's in great agony and great pain. And he's saying things like this, I'm going to take you with me, but he can't. He said, I'm going to take you to hell with me, but he cannot. I'll destroy you and your family. But he can't do it. He is our adversary that has been impaled by the sword of Calvary. And for 2,000 years since that day that he has been going through this process of anguish and pain and hurt, saying all these things. 
but he can't devour you. So this morning, it's a simple message and a simple thought process, but I want you to understand more than anything today that this young woman, someone gave her a 10 token bracelet. Someone that loved her great. And this, her whole value was on her arm. And somewhere in the process, she lost one. Bow your heads with me this morning, please. And she said to herself, the person that loved me and gave me this intended for me to have all 10 pieces because number 10 will represent order and restoration to my life. I can't settle for nine and I can't settle for eight. I need everything to remain in my mind what my husband said about me. This morning as the body of Christ, you need to have in your possession, in your mind, everything that God said about you. When you look in the mirror, I want you to know that there's a public enemy that wants to remind you how bad you are and, and how unfit you are to deserve God's grace. But I'll tell you, God's got more grace than you got sin. So this morning I ask you like this little woman, let's turn our house upside down. Let's find it. Let's find everything that God said about us. That we are his bride. We're the sheep of his pasture. We're the lambs in his flock. We are his beloved. We are the object of his love. We are the target of his grace. Nothing can separate us from God loving us. No height, no death, no creature in heaven and earth can separate us from God loving us. No past sin, no present sin, and no future sin can keep God from loving us. No weaknesses, no imperfections, no F and R report cards will ever keep God from loving us. His love is from Alpha to Omega. His love is from beginning to end for us. So this morning for the next 15 or 20 seconds, we're just going to go through the clutter in our mind. And all those harsh words and those unkind words and those unkind thoughts that someone said or done against you that would cover up and conceal what God said about you, we're going to get rid of that this morning. We're going to sweep it out the door.
I'm here to tell you this morning, you are lovely and you are righteous and you are holy. You are filled with God's Spirit. You are made to glorify Him. You are the salt of the earth. You are a light that's set upon a, a candlestick. You are a city that is set upon a hill that all men may see God in you. So everything this morning that God has ever said about you, let's find it. It's God's job to save our heart, but it's our job to save our mind. Father, this morning, I have no idea when I look in the mirror what there is about me that you would even give me a second look. We all stand in amazement of, of you knowing what we used to be and what we would become. But you still loved us. So this morning that we give you our, our promise that we're going to quit letting people dumb things in our brain. We're only going to pull to surface things that you've said about us and we're going to wear these ten tokens and it's going to bring order to our life and it's going to restore our thought process. We refuse to go around with pieces missing anymore because we want to love you with all of our heart and we want to love our neighbor and we want to love Jesus and we need self-worth to be established back into our life. Father, if there's any in this place that's never made a commitment to you, let them do that today, right where they are. If there's anybody in this place this morning, Father, that's bankrupt and they're hurting and they're empty, that's, that's where they'll find God's office. So give them self-worth, give them value, give them currency for the days that awaits them. In Jesus' name. And all the people of God say, Amen. Amen. In God good. Amen. Give the Lord a praise offering this morning. In God good. Turn to somebody and say, I think I'm going to start treating you a little nicer. Go ahead. Hold them to it. I found myself. I found what God's given me, and I'm, I'm going to start giving it away. Stand with me this morning, if you would. Man. It's pretty obvious that the Spirit of God is in this place. He moves in different ways. He has different offices that He manifests. But one of the greatest giftings of the Holy Spirit is this morning is to embrace us as the prodigal son's father, pig poo and all. Father, would you just come down and embrace us? Some of you this morning hadn't felt loved in a long time. Oh, you felt being used. But you'd never known love. God is in this place. He loves you. 
2,000 years ago as the communion servers will make their way. We celebrate Holy Communion here every week and we encourage you to celebrate it with us. You don't have to be afraid. You don't have to run out the back door. We're not going to ask you to fill out a questionnaire of your behavior this week. I'm telling you, Jesus said it's the bread and the cup until I come again is where you'll find me. That's what he said, until I come again. Something magical happens by faith. So 2,000 years ago, he said with his disciples that were absolutely beat up and bankrupt. No self-worth, no confidence because they had failed him they denied him. They even lied about him. But yet, he's sitting with the table. Teaching the same lesson that I'm trying to teach you this morning. If any man takes his cup unworthily, it means in your own worth. I'm not here to take communion in my own worth. I'm here to take communion in the worthiness of King Jesus. He is worthy. So he took the bread and he lifted it and he said, this bread is symbolic of my body that will be broken for you. Your broken dreams and your broken lives and your broken hearts and your broken marriages and just your brokenness. When your mind becomes broken, take the bread. He said, this cup is symbolic of my blood that will be shed for the forgiveness of your sins. So once again, we have this wonderful opportunity just to come to Christ. So if you're hurting this morning, if you're a sinner this morning, if you need prayer this morning, or if you're in great shape this morning, come to Christ. And He will meet all your needs. Father, bless this cup and bless this bread. And we give you thanks in Jesus' name. Amen.